When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Great to be with you on a Thursday. It's Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr. Plenty of time for you today. Thanks for choosing us here on Hale Varsity Radio. You can email chris at halevarsity.com. Find us on Twitter. Give us a follow at Schmidt underscore radio at Damon Barr. That's two R's. And dial us up 46637. 76-466-37-76-800-825-5865. Plenty to get to with wind projections. The S&P says what about Nebraska? Pretty interesting there. We'll take you through Nebraska basketball. There's a long, tough sigh. And it's not even necessarily that Nebraska lost for a 25th consecutive time in conference, but it's how they're doing it. And it's the, you know, a lot of us have been lucky to have important uh, role models and parents and guardians in our life. And, you know, what hurts the worst is when dad looks you in the eye and gives you, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. That, oh, it, it, it's so, and that's, that conversation happened a lot. <laughs> Son, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. And quite honestly, there's, that's beyond pissed when he goes to the, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. So, you know, Nebraska basketball fans, look, Wisconsin's a good squad. Were you going to beat them? No. Were you going to lose to them? Probably. But how are you going to lose to him? Was it going to be down to the wire? Or was it going to be the the same old, let's shut our eyes and throw a shot up in a group of people? We'll hear from Fred Hoiberg on taking care of the basketball in a little bit. Uh, some interesting stuff from the Spun. Uh, that is a, uh, a website here that is all over. Uh, when it comes to college football and, and NFL news. And they had a, a Q&A with uh, Brandon Hymas. So let's dive into that a little bit here. And, you know, they kind of lay out, you know, how was, how was the, uh, the All-Star game? Who were some of the tough dudes you faced? And, and Hymas has played a ton of games at Nebraska before opting out of the Rutgers game and then, and then pursuing his pro career. And Hymas... High-level recruit from from Lake Travis, Texas. We talked to Hymas. I think he was in Lake Travis uh, that 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 year he signed with Nebraska. I think it's 2017. And you know he was asked by the Spun, 
you know, you had a chance to return to Nebraska for another season, but instead you went pro. What pro went pro? What led to that decision? And Hymas is like, look, the main factor. I felt like it was my time to go. And this is his response to the uh, Q and A session. I'd done what I needed to to get done as far as playing competition wise. Felt like my legacy there at Nebraska didn't feel like another season would help me. And and while he's tied with our old boy Searles for for games played at at the offensive line spot consecutive games, he just said, "Look, it's time for me to move on." And I, you don't fault that. And you see guys do it in the bowl games. You just because of COVID, you didn't really see guys do it before the season concluded and that's where he took a little bit of heat so as we move further on in the q a section he was asked uh, about the the transfer stuff the pressure on on scott frost and the program and the the dreaded c word culture so here's the question here there's been a lot of pressure on scott frost over the past few years do you feel like next season is make or break for Scott Frost? And Hymas's response, that's really up to the higher-ups, I guess. In my opinion, it's just another year to get better than the year before. I don't really have a say if it makes or breaks his career at Nebraska. I hope him and his staff do well because I really enjoyed playing there for them and things of that nature. So we move on to the Luke McCaffrey discussion. He was asked about Luke McCaffrey, uh, and it was asked, you know, what's a team going to get with Luke? And it turns out that, that Hymas and McCaffrey got to be pretty close. They'd hang out on the weekends. Uh, McCaffrey's energy was off the charts. He was an lead by an ex- lead by example guy, and he was one of the most energetic guys on the, on the team, even though he was young, a, a crazy athlete, always given 100% always holding teammates accountable. The next question was on Adrian Martinez and the microscope in Lincoln. What should fans expect from him next year? And Hymas painted a pretty good picture of Adrian here. He's a hardworking guy. He's taken a lot for this team, and he's been blamed for a lot of things he couldn't necessarily control, and he's handled it like a real pro. And Hymas went on to say he tips his cap to Adrian Hopes he has a great year because he really deserves it, just like Luke. He's a hard worker and is a great leader on and off the field. What I expect for him is to have a great year rushing and throwing the football. So Hymas went in to say he needs help on the perimeter and in the backfield and from the offensive line. If it clicks, he can be a great quarterback. So let's get into that for a second. We talk about quarterback play a lot. It is the absolute difference in winning and losing. Look no further than Northwestern. Competent quarterback play, another West Division title. Iowa, competent quarterback play, they're in the thick of it. Wisconsin, go down the list. Look at Ohio State's quarterbacks. Look at LSU with or without Burrow. You get decent. Look at Florida's difference, for the love of God. They found a quarterback down there in Trask, and, and they're good (laughs) okay it's no secret it's the most important position in football can you get good quarterback play and what can your quarterback play give you uh when there's not 
a lot around you, or it's still kind of a work in progress around you. So you've got a guy that could be asked to make a few plays, manage, and and don't 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 take away, don't make a bad situation worse. And I think we've seen that in Adrian's career here. And we saw that in Luke's start against Illinois. I think we saw Nebraska's quarterbacks try and compensate to try and win. They tried to compensate a lot of times to help their team. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes there's a great play that's made. And sometimes it blows up in your face and there's a a turnover. And that's really the cut and dry of it. So I think Hymas is right on with this, where you need more help on the outside, where you need help in a running game because Nebraska's running game was the quarterbacks last year. More from Hymas here. Uh, was it an adjustment playing at an empty Memorial Stadium? And he's like, no, I prepare the same way, whether there's fans or not. Uh, and he goes on to touch on the mentality and physicality you got to have. You got to kind of bring it yourself. What's your maturity level? And how much do you love the game? Um, when it comes to, to challenges, to his preparation and mindset, there really wasn't any for him. He was going to give his all every single play because he gets that nothing's guaranteed. So when it comes to the, the culture side of things, his answer with playing in front of an empty house. At Nebraska, if you need fans to get jacked up, you shouldn't be playing at Nebraska. I think that has to do with the culture problems we've had there. Man. So the spun follows up with the culture question here. You mentioned culture problems Is that something still lingering, or do you feel like Nebraska turned the corner this past season? And here's what Hymas had to say. In my opinion, we didn't turn any corners, really. It was another frustrating season with things not clicking. And a lot of that started in the offseason. Older guys like me, Adrian and Matt, he's talking about Farniak, tried to get those things right, but it just never clicked for some of those guys. As frustrating as it was, we had to go out there and continue practicing on Monday and get ready for, for a game each week. We did the best we could with the guys we had, but it wasn't enough. So let's dive into that. Are some of the older guys not falling in line or is it some of the younger guys? Is it some of the younger guys that need some of the, the, the pomp and circumstance that are brought in from different regions that just don't get it? There's no fans, so maybe I'm not as up for the game, or maybe I'm not as tuned in to go practice, or maybe I'm not going to go lift, or maybe I'm not going to you know, put out my effort to its fullest. I mean, I'm reading into what he has to say when it comes to we didn't turn any corners. So that comes down to, A, the older guys enforcing the rule of law. Or if that isn't being done by the leaders on the football team, then it's up to the coaches or the position coaches. And it, it's, it's different, right? So 
what do you do if you're Nebraska football with this? You, you've just had a guy who opted out, who was very upfront, cordial, and didn't say anything negative at all. He just was asked about the culture. And he pretty much laid out, this is what he experienced, this is what he saw, and it's in stark contrast to the message we keep hearing from the coach. So, again, we have apples, we have oranges, we have two different pages versus being on the same page. Again, this is just Ms. Brennan Hymas' take on things. But I tend to, he has no reason to, to throw hand grenades. He's still got to roll back there for a pro day. He's just being honest with his take. And he was pretty honest with himself about saying, all right, man, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to forego my final game. I've accomplished what I need to accomplish. He's taken some heat for that. But he also spoke pretty glowingly about both his quarterbacks. He spoke pretty obviously about positions that are question marks for this offseason when it comes to the perimeter, the running game, and the offensive line. So when he says we didn't turn any corners, it was another frustrating season with things not clicking. Listen, there needs to be enforcement. There needs to be buy-in. There needs to be martial law quite honestly. And there needs to be guys on the team that will impose that martial law and either tell the the kids that aren't buying in or doing what they're supposed to be doing to, to fall in line and do what we're doing here so we can go win ball games or don't be a part of it. So that's that's interesting. And we'll see if this winter conditioning that gets into a spring camp, that gets into a fall camp, can really bring some of these lingering questions out there per Hymas's answers in this interview, can bring it into focus for the team moving forward. And you need to, to understand some things that there's going to be different rules for different people. That's just how life is. If you're a top sales exec, and you may be late to a meeting or you may blow a meeting off. You may not like it if you're someone else in the company, but your numbers aren't as spectacular as the the lead sales dog. Uh, Bill Parcells famously said, I'm going to treat everybody the same, which means I'm going to treat you different. If Lawrence Taylor's been on a Coke bender with 17 hookers, but still gets me four sacks against the Eagles on Monday night, I'm probably not going to chew out Lawrence Taylor. Reggie White, famous story, uh, was into his second or his last season as a pro, and he signed with Carolina. While all the young guys are just killing themselves during uh, training camp and two-a-days, back when there was such thing as two-a-days in training camps, uh, Reggie White, because of who Reggie White was and is uh, before he passed away, he was inside watching cartoons because he's Reggie bleeping white. Tom Brady didn't throw all the time during, uh, during buck practices during the season. Why? Because he's 43 and needs to save his arm. Checked with the head coach, got the pass, and guess what? They got it. 
He'll be ready for us on Sunday. That happens at the pro level, but in college, there just needs to be some uniformity as well with if you're a young player, is there special treatment going on? And why, hypothetically, why is somebody given 15 chances, but there's a mistake by somebody who's really grinding and there's punishment handed out to the person that's there Again, hypothetically, every day trying to get better. So there needs to be, uh, again, we say this a thousand times a week when new things pop up with Nebraska football, but you got to get on the same page. Pretty revealing stuff. Nothing horrific by Brandon Hymas, other than the fact that, yeah, culture's not any better. There weren't things that were fixed. We still had to go out there and try and barbed wire and duct tape a win together that didn't always happen. Got to have management be at a better level is what it sounds like. Brandon Vogel's next. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back with you, it's Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Rick Pizzo's coming up, Gary Barnett on the way. We welcome in Managing Editor with HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. We say what's up to Brandon Vogel, at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. Vogues, what's up? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Let's uh, get into some of the uh, preseason projections shortly. But uh, once you take on the uh, Brandon Hymas uh, topic here with the Spun Q&A and the discussion about cultural issues at Nebraska, is this a guy who opted out on his teammates, just kind of throwing a hand grenade in? Or is this a guy that started 40-plus games and answered a question honestly? How do you look at it? Yeah, I think it's the the latter for me. Um, it was a, a pretty interesting interview, and it felt it felt pretty honest. I thought uh, he did a good enough job to to make us all kind of wonder about some things, but also did a good job of of not going too far to where the where it's pretty open to to interpretation. So, uh, it, it, from a PR perspective, a plus on that. Uh, from a from a media perspective, it, it was not the the hand grenade, you know, it, it potentially could have been. And I don't even know if that would have been merited. You know, I, I would doubt that Brendan Hymas feels the, the need to, to lob one of those in at this moment. But he, he spoke enough about some things. Like, he didn't paint a rosy picture. So there's, there's kind of a, a lot to get into with that. There is, because all we hear is things are, are getting close. We're turning the corner. And... There is evidence of progress on the field. There's also evidence that there's just something missing or not clicking. And and I guess my question is, and we just talked about this, Vogues, you know, whose job is it to 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 be the police, I guess, is my, my question. Is it those older guys that Hymas was talking about, him and Adrian, and even Luke is a younger guy that was a great lead by example guy. That's my question is what's, what's the dynamic like in that locker room 
because Frost is right about wanting player-led led locker rooms. Every coach says, man, my best teams are always player-led, and I totally buy that and believe that. But right now, if, if there's still problems about guys getting jacked to play or bringing it every day or just understanding, maybe because they're new to it, what's needed Monday through Friday for Saturday, whose job is it to, to drill down on that? Is it the Hymases and Farniocks and Adrians, or is it the head coach or the position coach? Yeah, I think in, until you get it set, um, sort of setting the parameters of what you want that culture to be, um, putting in place the expectations that you need it to have to get there, uh, it, it does fall on the on the on the coaching staff. So you know, Nebraska in 1993, so 20 years into the Tom Osborne era, like yeah, at that point you would hope that it's it's a pretty player led culture. Um, and you can do it that way. In Nebraska at this stage, and you know, we've seen some of these kind of rebuilds, reclamations, whatever you want to call it, uh, progress more quickly than this. We've, we've seen some, although in today's game, they're virtually non-existent because coaches don't get that much time. Uh, we've seen, but we have seen some in the past that, that take longer. So I, I think this kind of is a pretty accurate representation of where Nebraska is at. Um, Coach Frost certainly feels, uh, if, if you you know take him at his word, and he, he's been pretty consistent with it, uh, that they've made steps in the right direction. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was just me, and this is totally my read on on that interview. Um, and Brendan Hymas can tell me I'm totally reading it wrong, and that would be fine. Um, there seemed like seemed to be like a, a strong tone to me of we're making progress on the culture front. It's, it's slowly, it's brick by brick, whatever you want to call it. But some of the players we have brought in in some cases, and I'm not talking about the majority of them. I'm certainly not talking about all of the players, but some of the players we brought in maybe weren't the best fit for that. So, so how do you, how, how do you deal with that? And I mean, you look at wide receivers. So, so Nebraska brought in five wide receivers last year. Um, Martin was hurt, so you take him off the board. Xavier Betts contributed the most. Alante Brown played a little. And then you had two guys in, in Manning and Fleming who, who didn't contribute at all. For, for whatever reasons those may be, Like that's not the way that's designed to work. That's not why they bring those guys in. So, so where is the disconnect? And that's kind of the, the million-dollar question as Nebraska turns, turns towards 2021. Well, and, and who's in that? Let's just talk about the receiver room for a second, right? You got Fleming, who did well against Northwestern and then disappeared. Manning never, he had one snap, right? But they've kept him around, and by all accounts, it, it may be starting to click now. And some guys just need more help. I, I get that. I mean, yeah. you, you want to... You want to balance the, dude, this guy can make a play for us. He's great. And there's also things you'll tolerate because of the talent. But how, how far outside the lines do you go with, with what you tolerate in exchange for that talent? And in the wide receiver room, who's, who's in that wide receiver room that's going to command respect right now that's, that's out there making plays? Well, is Wandale in there? No, he's he's left, but he's your wide receiver that's carrying the football now. <laughs> you know, so yeah. how much time is he spending in the wide receiver room? You have this 
guy in Cade Warner that's a hell of a captain and is great with chemistry, he's transferred. But he was a guy that would get everyone together and try and kind of lead by example. But bless his heart, what's his voice carry if he's either not doing it on Saturdays or he's getting passed up on the depth chart? That's that's my question here. What what does what translates and just hypothetically we're talking about in the wide receiver room? Yeah, I think it's I think it's tough. They've really struggled to to get old, quote unquote, at mm-hmm. that position. I mean the last the last guy you could say that probably perfectly fit that mold is Stanley Morgan. Like, you know, and he, he was a guy they inherited and you had one year with him. You're like, well, it's great. <laughs> great that this guy was here when we showed up and, and he produced and you could say for that year, hey, be like that guy. And, and they haven't really, I don't know if they've totally had that person since. Certainly not kind of the, that all-encompassing person. Like you mentioned, Kate Warner, you know, might have been that in segments, but mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of looking for that guy of just like follow his lead. And they don't, they haven't had that. They don't have that going into 2021. And, and it becomes a challenge on that front, I think. Well, and, and maybe some of that challenge will be met with uh, your, your offensive analysts you just hired and, and also your, your player development director. Maybe these new hires are going to be uh, be payoffs here in year two, or I should say this year, this season, and maybe a second year with helping kind of form that. Because if you got a guy that plays like Stan, that is uh, good at the camaraderie side, like Cade, there's your ideal dude, right? But you got to find one of those in your room. Vogues, a few minutes here. Let's get into ESPN's college football preseason SP Plus projections. Nebraska comes in. At number 30, and uh, how did that grab you? Did it knock you over, or did you kind of nod your head? Uh, I, I, was, I was mildly surprised. I thought they might be upper 30s, maybe low 40s, just based on losing Mills, losing, losing Wandale Robinson, losing, losing your backup quarterback, which even though I think by the end of the year, everyone was kind of like, yeah, Adrian deserves to be the starter. I certainly was. Um, you know, it, it chips away at that returning production, which is one third of the equation that goes into that. But, you know, SP plus with how it's calculated has been one of the metrics that's, that's been higher on Nebraska. I think at, at most stops along the way over the past three years. So, so I wasn't blown away. I was, I was, I was mildly surprised that they were, they were that high, but, I, I kind of understood it. I thought I thought returning production would ding them a little bit more, but it's a it's a strange year too. You know, how do you measure adding somebody like Toure? Um, you know, a guy who's produced at a high level. Uh, it was just the FCS level, and also it's his first year here. So it, it, there was enough there that it added up that I didn't think it was wildly out of line. Vogues uh, with the 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 point spreads, and I know you wrote about this hailvarsity.com and. Uh, maybe uh, snippets of it will find its way into the yearbook uh, in the magazine. But as you look at, at the SP plus, you know, were you able to formulate or project a, uh, a decent win loss number here for 2021? Well, I was able to formulate what it would be based on SP plus. So one of the great things about a ring system like this is you can, like the way the numbers are designed is you can take those and you just subtract one from the other. And it's basically saying, okay, 
Nebraska should be, based on the ratings, the X-point favorite against Illinois. And then with that, you can kind of calculate some, some win probabilities, add those all up. And, and this actually surprised me more than the rating because Nebraska is 30th in those, those rankings, and it plays five games against teams above it in the rankings, and Minnesota is one spot behind it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we all knew this was a tough schedule. Here's, here's a little bit of numerical uh, proof to put, put behind that. Um, but, yeah, when, you, when, when I did that using the, the win probabilities that have been figured out by people much smarter than I – um, it, it came out to just over seven, which, which surprised me a little bit. I mean, I think if you're a Nebraska fan right now, and I said, how seven and five sound for 2021 with all Nebraska has to replace on offense with all of its struggles over the past three seasons. I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know many people that wouldn't take that because that would be proof of like progress in terms of hard wins and losses um, it would get you to a bowl game. It would make everyone feel much, much better about the state of Nebraska football at the moment. Um, of course, that's just a projection. It still all has to play out on the field, but that's what it, that's what it penciled out to. The, the win probability percentages right now are quite lovely against some of the teams that you want to finish a bottle of Jack against if, if you lose to them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there were some, there were some surprising ones in there. So you know, Illinois first game of the year, maybe in Ireland, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, that that one's going to be a little bit wild. I was surprised. Like I know Buffalo lost two really good mm-hmm. running backs. I was surprised Nebraska was what what the numbers said they were in terms of being a favorite over over the Bulls. SP Plus uh, is really down on Northwestern uh, in these these initial rankings because they lose a ton. Um, so that was one that stuck out to me. I was like. It penciled out to 17 points over mm-hmm. over Northwestern. I was like, I can't remember a team that was 17 point favorite over Northwestern. They're just they play you too tough. They're too good at what they do. And then you know the two like the two best teams Nebraska plays like I think Oklahoma and Ohio State will probably be bigger favorites than what this you know what this kind of back of the envelope math says. But it's you know it's February. It's it's kind of a starting point. It's something that I find pretty fun to talk about. So just kind of put it out there. Brandon Vogel. Vogels, we'll do more of this on Saturday. Thanks for the time, bud. Thank you. Chime in, 402-466-ESPN, or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Good stuff from Brandon Vogel. It's Hail Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Coming up, Gary Barnett. We'll dive into the... Comments from Brandon Hymas on culture with Coach Barnett. He's taken over a couple of programs and programs that became very, very successful. Rick Pizzo is on the way at 25 after hour two. Best bets with Danny Burke. Get in if you want 466-37-76-466-37-76-800-825-5865. can email chris at hailvarsity.com. And I think Vogue's nailed nailed it with the question: Are things as as rosy as they're made to be or sound? And let, listen, we're not in there working out. We're not in there uh, with the team, and and maybe with all of the attri- uh, the attrition that's happened, the the, the problems may be gone. 
maybe those that want to stay and play are now at the forefront of these winter workouts and will help kind of lay the groundwork for a, a more bonded 2021. And we get back to the, the why. Why did Nebraska not play in a bowl game? Well, it's been a just draining season. Yes, it's draining for you as a fan. I know that. But imagine for the players where you had you had it wasn't unanimous. You had division. Some guys wanted to play. Some guys wanted to go see their family. And if you're scoring 24 points a game and it's just cheese grater time on offense, a lot of it. Uh, you have zero interest in one more rodeo. Clearly, if if you're Hymas, you're like, dude, I'm out. I'm going to the NFL. I'm going to start working for that. I've given you my pounds of flesh for X number of years. Peace. It's not getting any better running the football, and we got nothing at wideout. That's my inference. So I don't think Hymas is off or wrong or, you know, when when hand grenade i think he was just honest and it's something to think about how likely is this to get fixed this offseason or if if not fixed at least be better and we just bang our head it's february i get it it's the offseason and people are sick of culture people are sick of talking you just want to see some action but until things get cleaned up where, again, you're on the same page and you've got like-mindedness and common goal, then you're going to have issues and you're going to have guys not making plays or guys not knowing where they're supposed to be. I think this, this addition of Toure could be pretty big time. And, and Vogue's mentioned him because there's a guy that's going to bust his ass, but he's also going to be able to show it and do it at a high level. So you're going to fall in line or do what he does if his performance is as good as his work to get ready. Nebraska basketball, let's go there for a moment. Incredible first 10 minutes. Eight for 12, eight assists. It looked like a non-Nebraska basketball team. And then we woke up. And we stayed up to watch Nebraska basketball do what they do. And they're just frustrating. And and Hoiberg's, again, drained. And I don't blame him. He has an offense that works. He had guys executing. Their defensive energy's been incredible. And then it turns into me ball. And... The minute you get that first charge because you want to go get on Sports Center, or the minute you throw a a pass that's too difficult for the situation versus the safe and easy pass on a break. I mean, Nebraska scored like four buckets between the the final eight minutes of the first half. In, in the first eight minutes of the second half. And Wisconsin got held below 40% shooting. So the defense was there. You've got some some glimmers of hope. I mean, I like watching Lat. He's nice. 
Andre is really giving it to you and coming along, getting better, needs more minutes, needs more time because he can be somebody that can really help. But then you get moments where Teddy or Shamil or Banton, you, you can't have some of your higher level guys continually screw up. And I know that they're human. I know that's part of basketball. But these are just decision-making choices that kill this basketball team. It's in their control. It's not something Wisconsin's forcing them or the other 24 teams they played. It's not necessarily all on your opponent. It's on you. Here's Hoiberg from last night. You know, the first probably nine, nine minutes of that game is exactly what we have stressed uh, you know, these last several days with all the turnovers that we've had, the problems with, I think, 18 and in the first two games was moving the ball and trusting and making the right plays and making the right reads. And I thought we did that as well as we have all year. And that's exactly what the system looks like when you go out and you score eight baskets on eight ass- and you get eight assists on those plays. I think we had 10 assists at halftime and three in the second. The movement just wasn't the same. And then we started trying to go on our own and driving into the pile again and turning the damn ball over. And, you know, it's got to come to a point where it clicks. You're right on. It's got to eventually click. But if you got guys driving in and Nebraska leads the world with four offensive fouls a game at a minimum. I mean, if you were to sit there with a bottle and a shot glass and every time Nebraska had an offensive foul, you pass out every game. More from Hoiberg. I've never been a guy to slow it down and stop and run an action every time down. You know, I love I love the flow when the defense is disorganized, uh, getting back into the play and trying to get something accomplished early in the possession. But right now, we're just not making good enough decisions uh, when those opportunities present themselves. So, you know, I hate to throw up the stop sign and you know get into something every every play, but you know that's probably what it's going to have to come to for a while until we can figure out our turnover issues. And it's not just the turnovers, Robin. It's the going in and throwing up crazy shots and expecting to get a call. We're not getting them. And, you know, we just have to find a way to trust better, you know, keep the movement, and good things happen. Whether you make the shot or not, we're getting good looks when we move the ball. And, you know, we just didn't do that for a long enough stretch. That is so key with this team about getting good looks. And the first eight to ten minutes, they had great looks because they're being unselfish and passing the ball. And this is really the the question here. Uh, More control by Fred and what he wants done versus allowing freedom of choice, trusting and hoping the guys can be responsible enough to, to make the right decision. They have not shown the ability to do that for 40 minutes or longer than 10 in their last few games. So it's time to take control back. And you're going to bark out what play they're running, and that's how this rodeo may go. Illinois waits for them. We'll wind down hour one next. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. So we got to bring Damon Barr into this discussion on etiquette when it comes to wine purchases. Damon Barr is known to have wine night with girlfriend and pals. Damon, have you ever purchased gas station wine? Uh, where are we going? Are we talking like Mad Dog? 
No, I'm, I'm just saying, have you ever bought red or white from a gas station? I can't say I've ever gone to the gas station to uh, to purchase the wine. Okay. Even in a pinch? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty close to a, a little liquor store, so that's usually <laughs> my, my go-to. So when Damon Barr was moving into a home, he took into account how many yards he is away from a, from a booze outlet. Here's where I'm going. Jerry Jones, seen at a Dallas 7-Eleven purchasing wine. $8.5 billion is what Jerry is worth. Do you have a problem with a guy like Jerry Jones buying gas station wine? I mean, listen, some folks love gas station hot dogs. There's legendary barbecue joints that started out in the back of gas stations. If it's good, it's good no matter where you get it. (laughs) But you had a Chiefs fan describe the encounter where... You had Jerry photographed at a 7-Eleven holding a bottle of wine. The Chiefs fans and said, look, Jerry, uh, nice to meet you, sir. What did you think of the Super Bowl? It's like, man, I felt bad for my homes. So if it's cheap and it's good and it's like blackberry or toasted hazelnut or cinnamon or some sort of vanilla toasted oak, Whatever, man. But I, I I don't know. You would think, first of all, you think Jerry would have his own vineyard or could at least call our old buddy Switzer up and say, get me a bottle of Switzer Family Vineyards Red. But now Jerry is, uh, here's Jerry's response. It needs to be this. Brother, I've got to cut back. I got to save money for Dak, or I got to save money for, for Deshaun, or brother, I got to go get Wentz. Spin it that way with as to why I'm buying gas station wine. And there are some things that are money at a gas station, and then there are some things that just like are frowned upon if you have a bankroll that could buy a small third world country. And gas station wine... I'm going to side with the fact that if Jerry thinks it's good and likes it, Jerry's an old Arkansas guy. God love him. You like what you like. I mean, I know people that have been super successful and they are, they could drink anything they want. They could drink the most expensive tequila. They could go all in on the bourbon. They could get the barrel-aged stuff they want they could do scotch that would make stifler's mom smile but they give them a give them a, a butt heavy god love them for it it's what they that's what they drink on the golf course it's what they're going to drink in their lake home and you're either going to like it or just not have it gary barnett's on the way hour two with hail varsity presented by the nebraska lottery
Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back with you, Tower 2. It's Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr. We still didn't get an answer from Damon on the would you part of that Jerry Jones buying wine at a 7-Eleven. In a pinch, yes. It's good, it's good. I know he's been good on the golf course today. We welcome in the coach, Hall of Famer Gary Barnett with us on Hail Varsity. Coach, what we shoot today? Uh, you know, it wasn't bad, Chris. You know, a little 81. So, could have been better. Missed some putts. That happens. I'm sure it was a little warm and too much sunshine and, you know. <laughs> it was hot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sweating. Yeah. Couldn't hold the club. <laughs> yeah, David and I are sweating because we have seven parkas on uh, up here. <laughs> should I Should I be concerned that my mother gambles three days a week on the golf course now down in Arizona? No, I think you should be delighted. <laughs> you know, I mean, she's having fun if she's gambling. No, I know, know I know. Little... I'm excited she's <laughs> you having... You want her to have fun? No, I want her to have a great time. I just don't, you know, some... Brother, there's there could be some sharks down there, though. That, you know, that $5 game could turn into to 50 I'm just saying it, it could be the slippery slope argument. Well, if you get a phone call saying, Chris, I need some financial help, then yes, be, be concerned. Especially she calls, she's doing fine. Especially if I get it instead of my brother. Yeah, if she's asking me, <laughs> oh, no. Well, uh, good. I'm glad you shot an 81. You'll make those putts tomorrow. Uh, we'll get into some football topics here in a moment, but uh, how did the Super Bowl Sunday go for you? Uh, well, you know, I probably watch it a little bit differently than than every than a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just amazed at how um, not amazed, but uh, I loved the simplicity of Tampa Bay's defense. The fact that they just said, "Look, they're down two tackles. We're better on the edge than they are. We can double their great players." And get to the quarterback with a four-man pressure, and and uh, you know wreak havoc through there, and that's just what they did. I mean, those two guys on the end, Barrett and uh, the, the other kid, uh, they just stole the show. You know, they uh, they absolutely did. They made life miserable for Mahomes. Uh, they couldn't run their offense, no matter how good you are. I think the beauty of it to me was. You have to have all the pieces. And we know about all the receivers, and we know about the quarterback and the running backs and all the skill guys that, that show up so much. But that game came down to two pass rushers and two pass protectors that, you know, it, where it was a great imbalance, and it made the whole difference in the game. So, you know, I, I I like the simplicity that Tampa Bay had in their defense, and, and they just let them play. It was fortunate they could do that. They couldn't have done that if both those tackles were there. But because of the situation, they could. 
Gary Barnett's with us, Hale Var City Radio. You know, Levante David is well known here because of, of how great he was at Nebraska, and he's had incredible numbers on non-winning teams in Tampa. And he's he's at a couple Pro Bowls. He's even made a couple All-Pros, and he's ended up, you know, anywhere between 50 and 75 a few different times when the NFL Network counts down the top 100 greatest. So he, he people who know football know Levante. But man, oh man, did he showcase his physicality and his ability to to be right there against Kelsey. And that's, Coach, that's a luxury a lot of teams don't have, correct? Where you have a guy that can can be a big enough problem and difference maker on the defensive side of the ball. And you're a guy who loves tight ends, throwing the football to him, finding ways to get open. I mean, I thought that was pretty – you're right on with the edge and getting after Mahomes, but I thought the coverage, being able to go one-on-one with Kelsey from time to time was pretty big. Well, it was, and, and you know, his partner there, Devin White, yeah. played about as well as you could play in a football game, but he's done that for like four or five straight weeks. And so, um, you know, they they could double Kelsey when they want – you know, lots of times they double Hill and double Kelsey. Kelsey, mm-hmm. because they could get to him with a four-man rush and even a three-man rush at times. So, when you can do that, then you control the whole game. Coach, uh, is there a pass rusher that you still have nightmares about that you faced as a coordinator or as a, as a coach that that you still think about? Is there somebody you just had a, a great day against one of your offenses? Well, you know. Probably, I have to think about it, Chris. You, you surprised me with that one. But uh, what we would do is you look you look at all the stats and you see there's a guy that has unbelievable sacks. I mean, he's just the dominant player, mm-hmm. sacks and tackles for loss. That's what you always look for, sacks and tackles for loss. And if you had a player that was dominant uh, on any team you had, then you had to account for him. And when that happens, when you can't play them one on one, then the defense has an edge. You have to you have to put either another blocker on him, lineman, to help, or you've got to put a fullback or a tight end to help, which means you take somebody out of your your pass route. So um, you, you know, right now, I'm just thinking of somebody in particular. I can't think of anybody right off the top of my head, but um, you know, there were a lot. We played a lot of great players. And uh, you'd always go through the stats the week before, find out who had those kind of numbers, and then you set your game plan around it. Coach, I want to switch gears, and uh, I sent you the link. And I don't know if you had a chance to look at it or not, but uh, you had Brandon Hymas uh, did a Q&A with the Spun. This was when he was doing his senior bowl work, and then the topic in Nebraska came up, and – we're back into that culture discussion. I know it's February, and I know it's the off season. And you know, he kind of intimated that you know things are still lingering from a culture standpoint. And Hymas said that, in his opinion, we didn't turn any corners. Really, just another frustrating season with things not clicking. I think you got the older guys that are doing what they need to do, but some of the younger guys maybe weren't. And uh, maybe it was pretty clear on offense. It's just it was a mess with some of the team wanting to go to the bowl game, some of the team not wanting to go to the bowl game. My question for you, 
at what point, where was the sign and the signal? When did you feel right about being able to hand off that locker room to your team and or to your captains to be player-led? I mean, kind of take me through how you got to a certain comfort level. You've always told us here over the years that player-led teams are the best, and I absolutely believe you on that. But how did you get to that point? Because each team's different yeah. year to year. Yeah, and, you know, I, I have I went through two examples um, uh, and part two others. But I, uh, the two that, that are, uh, stand out the most was, first of all, at Northwestern, it took me three recruiting classes um, and uh, isolating each class um, away from the older players uh, until I had three. I had a total of 60 or 65 players, maybe 70 players, that I had recruited there. And I started from the time that they showed up as freshmen. I isolated them. And then I put them with someone who taught them, lead, started teaching them leadership. And I, in two-a-day camp, three-a-day camp, I isolated them away from everybody else and started that way. And then the next year, uh, I put two classes, the next, uh, the, my first two classes together. And I, you know, I, I, I made it available for everybody, but, um, you know, I, I, I treated them a little bit differently because, they had to, They were the ones that were going to come down the road and lead our football team uh, at Colorado. And, and then at the end, after I had three groups together, then and they spent a year or two years together, uh, and three years together. Then all of a sudden, they were able to take it over. And at Colorado, uh, I can't. I inherited a really athletic team, really um, a lot of good players on it my first year, but our leadership was you know, kept us from being uh, a great team. Uh, and some of my own hard-headedness kept us from being a great team, too, because I, I wanted them to work harder and I wanted them to be more physical. And um, When I started on that campaign, they, they pushed back a little bit. And uh, I was stubborn and they were stubborn. So we, we probably could have been a 10-win team in, in 99 with the talent that we had. But, um, you know, until, until they got the idea of what I was going to be about and what I was looking for and demanded in the way of leadership, it got in the way. Uh, but for, for Colorado, it took me two full years um, to get it. And the third year is when, you know, I, all the, it was turned over to the players. Mm. And so, uh, you know, it just... It, it takes a while, and it just depends on the culture that you're inheriting. And in my case, the culture I inherited at Northwestern was probably very similar to the culture at Nebraska. Um, and so, I, you know, it's, it's a three- or four-year deal before you can turn it over to them. You tell them about it, and, and you show them, but they're not ready to do it. So, And, and sometimes you can't tell – uh, right after the season, um, it gets darkest before the dawn sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of happened in both situations for me as well. 
Can you kind of give me a, a look-see, if you're comfortable with it, as to the culture at Northwestern? I mean, when you talk about what what was what was it and what did it need to be? What what did it turn into for that Rose Bowl run versus what, what it well, was and as to yeah. why you isolated? Well, the, the, um, the culture was one of accepting losing and accepting the fact that you're never going to win. And it permeated the entire athletic department, and it permeated the city. Uh, you know, expectations, there were none. Uh, they just didn't think it could be done, and so they tolerated. Um, they tolerated just. You know, there was. We almost dropped. We almost went to the Ivy Leagues the year before I got there. I didn't even know that wow. until later. But it, it came down to a vote as to whether they went to the Ivy League and got out of the Big Ten. And so the people that worked with our players, the, the trainers, the academic people. Uh, no one had any expectations of them, and so therefore, um, you know, the the whole culture was was of no expectations and no demand. Nobody demanded anything of them. So uh, it, we had to change everything, and and when I say change, I want to say we had to create a culture. There really wasn't one there. And so we had to win over the academic people. We had to win over the administration. We had to win over the community. I had to, you know, I, I got them to put up big banners on game days. I got them to, uh, you know, uh, uh, close down part of the street so you so uh, you could bring the buses in and we could have a uh, a police escort. They never had a police escort. Um, you know, to make it so that the players felt like it was more important because was important because it was not important to anybody in the community. So we had to make it important. See, those aren't the things you're fighting at Nebraska. Those were the things I had to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was, and that's why it took four years. Sure. You know, now it's not that way. Now it's, it's, they expect you to win. They, um, you know, everybody that deals with the players has uh, high levels of expectations and high standards, and so it's it's different. And Fitz and and Randy Walker were able to you know take it to another level. What do you think you're fighting in Nebraska? Entitlement to some degree. Um, I, I I think that it sometimes it, it, I, I compare it to Texas that it's it's so good and expectations are so high and the the players are treated like royalty and rock stars and you know what it entitles you it it just takes something away and you know you've got to go back and scratch and claw and get dirty uh and earn your entitlement is what it takes. And sometimes you got to go that way as opposed to the way that I went. Gary Barnett's with us on Hale Varsity. Coach, about 30 seconds. Can you share your reaction after you stepped in there and said, oh, by the way, we may be going to the Ivy League? Did you lose it? I didn't know that. But one, uh, once you I, find I out. Until John, John Bacon wrote a book. Uh, and um, it was, I read the book about, no. I had heard, I'd heard rumors, but no one would verify it. 
And so I read I read a book by John Bacon, who's a big Michigan guy, and yeah. he talked about what was going on, and he described it play by play. So, um, I mean, we, we literally dodged a bullet, oh, and it was one year before I got there. Jeez. Gary Barnett's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, this was awesome. Thanks so much for your time and your insight and sharing your thoughts with us today. Okay, Chris. Have a great weekend. You too. Gary Barnett with us. Awesome stuff about uh, culture and handing off and sifting through the uh, the rebuild. Rick Pizzo's on the way with Hale Varsity. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Big Ten buffet time, it returns. We welcome Rick Pizzo from the Big Ten Network into 2021 at BTN Rick Pizzo. Mr. Rick, good to hear your voice, man. How you doing? Good to hear yours as well, Chris. Just like everybody else, I'm a little bit back and forth, turned upside down and inside and out. I think I know each day when I wake up what day of the week it is and what games are supposed to be played. And Sometimes I'm right about the day and sometimes I'm wrong about the games and whether they're actually played. So at this point, I'm kind of like everybody else. Uh, I want to see as much sports as I can on any given day. I want us to get to the NCAA tournament, have a successful one, be able to watch spring football, and get ready for the 2021-2022 academic athletic year to be normal. That's all I want. I love Rick Pizzo saying, let's be normal, man. And uh, you know what? We'll start off with a little football before we get to hoops. And tough year for Nebraska. And, and you're so gracious to come on throughout the, the season. And Nebraska didn't uh, end the season the way they wanted to record-wise. They kind of found some things despite the turnovers against Rutgers. But, you know, Scott Frost has had uh, several uh, moments with the media and uh, all 10 assistants are coming back. There's been some nice uh, hires when it comes to to analysts. Uh, Bill Bush knows the Big Ten well, so he's back in Lincoln. But overall, as as we look at Nebraska and you've kind of seen and heard what Coach Frost has been saying, uh, your thoughts here just – from 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 your view of of Nebraska, uh, right now as we head into a, a pretty important year four, and you know the Nebraska fan base super loyal. They love their football. There's also been uh, quite a bit of cri- criticism out there towards where Nebraska's at. And I think that's fair. I do. But when you and I spoke when Scott Frost was hired we discussed what the time frame was. And my understanding from the fan base was at the time frame, most people was three years to show significant improvement. For me, it was five years. Mm-hmm. And I'm always a five-year guy when you're taking over a program which is not where you want it to be physically, culturally, Socially, inside and outside the locker room, and Scott's made no secret of that's what he found when he arrived. That's fine. And that does take sometimes more than two to three years. It can take five, but now we're getting toward that cycle where the first group of guys that you recruited are your senior leaders. So now it is time to show. And this is a huge opportunity, not just because it's year four, but because you look at the schedule, if it plays out, as it is laid out right now. You open in a game that everybody's going to be watching because it's overseas and it's the first game of the year and it's against a team that you can beat in Illinois, right? 
and then your home game is against a pretty good team from a non-power league, a Buffalo team that has beaten a lot of quality opponents over the last couple of years, and then you get to renew the rivalry with Oklahoma. So by the middle of September, you're talking by September 18th in year four, Chris, I think a lot of judgment is going to be made. I think you could make the argument that these three games, certainly this early in the season, are maybe as vital or as much a barometer as any three-game stretch that we've seen because I think it will tell you exactly where Nebraska is going to be in year number four, a year that I agree is remarkably critical for many, many reasons. Rick Pizzo's with us, Hail Varsity Radio, at BTN Rick Pizzo on Twitter. And, and I was with you, five-year guy. I mm-hmm. thought that you could see some wow in year three. And if Nebraska was just more buttoned up, and that's the term we've kind of clinged to for the 2020 season, and you look at, at some of the losses in, in the first three years, Nebraska's Rick record, I know could have, would have, should have, but it could be flipped. And you know what, man? And you've seen this league from day one with BTN. You know how crazy uh, one-game score ball games are in this league. They they happen every Saturday and it's really good teams that either get bit by somebody or it's an Iowa or a Northwestern or a Wisconsin or an Ohio State or go down the list, right? Or Penn State that they they are so good at those one-score games middle of November against somebody that might have a sub-500 record. Uh, that has been felt, I think, by a lot of Nebraska fans these three years that Frost has been here, but, but beyond. It's such a deep and talented league uh, when it comes to, to players. But uh, across the sideline, man, you're, you're fighting every Saturday against really, really talented head coaches. Well, and also for Scott specifically and individually, he's fighting this concept that he should be the offensive mastermind that he was at UCF at Nebraska. And that's not fair. The level of competition, the level of defense you're facing is completely different. But also he played the position of quarterback Mm -hmm. in an outstanding way at the school where he is now coaching. The biggest get early on in recruiting was a quarterback in Adrian Martinez. And then we saw McCaffrey come in and show signs. And I'll go back to that and the importance of that position. You look not just in the Big Ten. Why has Ohio State been great? Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, JT Barrett. Look nationally. Look at how good Mac Jones was and Tua Tungabailoa before him. LSU with Joe Burrow was a national championship team. Without Joe Burrow, they were nothing. Look inside the Big Ten at Northwestern, who virtually had the same roster this year that it had last year, when it could not find anybody to play quarterback. This year, Peyton Ramsey steps in, an above-average quarterback, a guy who doesn't make any mistakes, and they're in the Big Ten championship game. So I'm not placing all the blame on the quarterback position, but if you want to talk about the difference between winning and losing those three-point, six-point games inside the Big Ten, there is no position that is more responsible for that than quarterback. And I think if you polled the Husker faithful and if the coaches spoke publicly, they would say that over the last three years, the play at that position has not been consistently where they thought it would be. 
it's been boomer bust. You've had greatness. You've had correct uh, moments where it's it's helped the other team, and then you factor in that third phase of special teams, Rick, and that's gotten you beat a lot of games. When you factor in, okay, maybe your quarterback play wasn't as good as it needed to be, but man, you didn't get help from special teams. There goes your momentum. Here's your pressure because now you're trailing. And, I mean, it, it's been a vicious cycle. So uh, we'll see what Nebraska can do and and, and maybe move towards with uh, an identity offensively. Rick Pizzo's with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Rick, uh, a real quick question with that Tennessee opening. And how much weight did you give two of the names in the league uh, that were mentioned with that opening? That's That's Fleck and that's Franklin. Yeah, not a lot. Uh, it's how good is that job right now? Uh, I, is that job better than Penn State? No, no, no. Is that job better than what PJ Fleck has built at Minnesota? Fine. You want to tell me they're even because of the recruiting and the weather and the stadium and the backing and the finances? That's great. They're going to be on probation for a long time, right? There's some stuff coming down the pipe that I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Why do you leave to take over that situation when you are handsomely paid, you've done well at your current job? So I know there was a lot of talk about that. I would be shocked if either one of those guys entertained that thought for more than a half Mm -hmm. a second. Rick, let's go to, to some basketball. I know Michigan's been on pause. Illinois has been on fire. Ohio State's incredible. Uh, Wisconsin had a bounce back against Nebraska. Iowa's found a way to sweep Rutgers. What a league. What a season for the Big Ten. Uh, right now, um, pound for pound, who's, your, who's Rick Pizzo's top team in the Pizzo power rankings? Uh, right now, my top team in the power rankings is Ohio State. They may not necessarily be the team that has the best chance to get to the Final Four. I think there may be a couple of teams that actually have a better chance to get there, specifically because their ceiling is a little bit higher. But right now, you look at what Ohio State has done in the month of January, in the month of February, where they've won. You're winning in Madison. You're winning in Iowa City. You're winning basically everywhere inside the Big Ten. And here's the interesting part about Ohio State, Chris. Pull, not just a casual basketball fan, pull a basketball fan that considers himself to be or herself to be somewhat educated about the game and ask them quickly to name three players on Ohio State. And I guarantee you it would take them a while. And yes, EJ Liddell has become a little bit of a household name because he's continued to have a phenomenal breakout season. But this is where coaching comes into play. And I have been beating this drum for way too long and apparently not loud enough because Chris Holtman is flat out one of the best coaches in this country. Everybody refers to him as underrated. That has to stop, and it has to stop immediately. It doesn't matter where he's been. It doesn't matter at what level. It doesn't matter what his roster is like. He gets the best out of his guys every day, every week, every month of every year. And I think that's exactly what he's doing this year. And there was all this talk in the beginning of the year about – Steve Peichel and recently Matt Painter and obviously Jawan Howard and the job that they've done. To me right now, nobody has done a better job inside the Big Ten than Chris Holman. Ohio State's phenomenal. I love that they find ways physically, defensively. Uh, they get to the rim. They're 
not great at the three-point shooting, but they're not horrible. But they just they just gritty, and then they get it done. And you nailed the the fact with where they've won and who they've beaten. Uh, Rick Pizzo is with us, Big Ten Network. Uh, Rick, a, a thought on Nebraska as the uh, the losing streak has continued. Uh, you and I both have high levels of respect for Fred Hoiberg. And uh, guys need to do what he says, and and they're not. They're not doing it consistently. There's athletes on this team, but uh, sometimes they're not doing the execution part. And, man, Nebraska basketball has just been really tough, and I I feel for for Hoiberg. I do as well. And you can play as athletically as you want to, but if you don't also play intelligently, then you're in trouble. And I think that there is an unofficial stat in which Nebraska may lead the country in charges called against. (laughs) And and I I joke, but in all seriousness, that comes down to basketball IQ. It comes down to making the right play and not putting yourself in a position where you're going to get called for an offensive foul. And we don't talk about the change in momentum that goes along with offensive fouls, right? It's not just that the defense gets fired up because they're slapping the floor and they're so excited about the guy that took the charge, but it's a lost possession on the offensive end. And if you go back to the analytics and the stats, every stats guy that breaks down college basketball will tell you that right now in the game, there is no more important analytic than points per possession. Mm. And what you've just done by an offensive foul, you've given one of your better players a foul, and you've gotten zero points on that possession. So to me, it comes down, and they have the athletes to compete with others in the Big Ten. They certainly have the athletes to compete with Wisconsin. But in a game like that, you have to play smart. And unfortunately, we continue to see on too many occasions undisciplined undisciplined play leading to results like last night and leading to 48 points offensively, which just isn't going to get it done. Rick Pizzo's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Rick, be good. We'll do this again. Thanks for a few minutes. My pleasure, man. Glad we could catch up. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for Burke's Best Bets. Danny Burke, pride of Chicago, with us at Danny Burke 5 on Twitter with Vison Sports Network. You can find that on iHeart, Rush Hour, 6 to 7 Central, uh, all over your uh, radio dial across the country. Pride of Chicago, how you doing, man? Smitty, I'm doing good. How about yourself, my friend? I'm all right, man. I uh, I enjoyed the Super Bowl. I won my steak and a beer bet with Elijah, so I can't complain. And I got some buddies uh, that, that did well with some future bets way back in the day that uh, turned out really well with Tampa. <laughs> there you go. Can't complain. Love to hear it. The, the old Vegas stimulus plan, you know? So... <laughs> <laughs> That's what, sometimes that could be a little bit more of a secure route. So, hey, not too shabby. <laughs> uh, Danny Burke's with us, uh, Burke's Best Bets. So, Danny, let's zero in, man, and uh, keeping with the temperatures in the Midwest, uh, let's talk about the frozen pond. Some NHL thoughts from you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, we've been diving into hockey on the show as of late, and hockey's a sport that really, I mean, I've always enjoyed, but in terms of betting, I really started getting into it last year. So this season we had a great start started out four and L. I've been on a little bit of a slide lately. Now we're five and four, but we're looking to keep it going coming off the win the last bet we had. I have a couple tonight on the ice though. I want to start with the Jets and the Senators. This one drops talk about like seven PM Central time. Now the Senators are one of the worst teams in the league. They're two eleven and one straight up. 
one six and zero on the road so far. Winnipeg, they're five two and one at home, seven four and one straight up. Ottawa's also on a three game losing streak here. Uh, they're coming off a loss to Edmonton on Tuesday, three to two. The Jets are also coming off off a loss, excuse me, on Tuesday at Calgary. But Calgary's a little bit better of a team. That was a closer one, three to two. Now, the reason I like Winnipeg here is they're a big favorite. They're about over a two dollar favorite, and a bet that I like to circulate around is the win and regulation bet. So this just means that Winnipeg, I think, is going to win the game, but it has to be in regulation. If they go to overtime, I'm going to lose my bet. So. I don't want to lay the over $2 for it, so you get a little bit better price to banking on them winning throughout three periods. And I think they do that because they got Connor Hellebuck uh, for Winnipeg in net for them. He's been one of the best goalies these past couple seasons. So far, he's 5-3-1, 2.54 goals against average and a 91% save percentage. Matt Murray is probable for Ottawa, and he's been atrocious with an 88% save percentage, allowing about uh, 3.6 goals per game, 2-6-1 and one on the year. Winnipeg's offense is going to do enough to win that game, so I like them to win in regulation, and you do the regulation bet, like we said, because you get a little bit better price than just for the full game. So that's the first one I'm looking at. And then on a little bit uglier of a game in a later slate spot, uh, the Sharks and the Kings. I like San Jose here. Um, the Kings are really just banged up all throughout, and they're on a five-game losing streak. The Sharks just beat them on Tuesday, 4-3 to three in a shootout. we got Martin Jones going for San Jose, who's 5-2-0 and oh straight up. He's allowing a decent amount of goals, 3.7, but really his save percentage isn't terrible, 88%. Jonathan Quick looks probable for the Kings. He's just been absolutely atrocious this year. Past his prime, he's 2-2-2, two, two and two, allowing about four goals per game with an 86% save percentage. I like the sharp movement toward the Sharks, and I'm also riding that too. So I got San Jose for the full game. Jets to win in regulation on the ice. Danny, I love that you're zeroing in on, on goaltending. I mean, you, you need a... Uh, a competent goaltender, and in some instances, you need a special goaltender. And back to your Senators and uh, Jets matchup. You mentioned Murray being probable. Uh, Hogberg's is back up, and that dude's 0-5. Is, is up and down as Murray has been in net for the Senators. <laughs> Hogberg's, you know, almost five goals a game and in five starts for him. So... In regulation, that's that's a smart look from you. Danny Burks with us, Pride of Chicago, Burks Best Bets, Vison Sports Network, host of Rush Hour. Find Danny on Twitter at Danny Burke Five. And there's some NHL thoughts for tonight. When it comes to the NBA, what are you circling this evening? So I actually found an angle in this Philadelphia and Portland game. Now the Blazers did just beat Philadelphia last Thursday, one twenty-one to one hundred five. Neither Ben Simmons or Damian Lillard were in that game, so this is a good bounce back spot for Philly. But instead of dabbling with the spread, I'm looking at their team total points. One seventeen and a half is where I snagged it at. I bet the over at minus one thirteen. Now the Sixers are averaging about one hundred twelve points for one hundred possessions, which ranks about sixteen, so middle of the pack in the NBA. But defensively, Portland allows one hundred sixteen and a half points per one hundred possessions. That puts them twenty eighth. They're also twenty eighth in defensive effective field goal percentage at fifty six percent. And when you look at this, an interesting trend that I found, Schmidt, is that the second time the Sixers have played the same team, because this will be the second time they played Portland, it's happened six times. And on that second time they've played the same team, the Sixers are averaging 122 points per game in that second matchup, and they've gone over this mark of 117.5 in five out of six games. 
Now, conversely, the second time the Blazers are facing the same team, which has occurred five times for Portland, they're allowing opponents to average 120 points per game in those spots. They've allowed opponents over the mark in three out of five games. Plus, because of, like we said, Simmons wasn't in the first go-around, he's plus 10.5 points in points per possession when he's on the floor. So with Simmons back in the mix, a Portland team that's still banged up in the second opportunity for a bounce back with this Philly team against Portland, I think they score more than 117 and a half points. Gotta love that. Uh, research Danny Burke, Pride of Chicago, Burke's Best Bets, Hail Varsity Radio. Danny, gonna flip it over to college here. Got a couple of minutes left. Have you been uh, making any money off, uh, off Nebraska basketball? <laughs> You know, honestly, Schmitty, I, I've stayed away from college basketball as a whole, really, this year. And more importantly, I've stayed away from Nebraska. I mean, as you know, I, I really just don't have too good of a read on this team. I know there's been some good spots where you can take advantage of them as a dog. They got our hopes up a little bit uh, last night against Wisconsin. But, you know, personally, I'm still kind of waiting till we get some consistency with this team and they really find out their true identity and start to kind of see that progress and improvement. And I honestly haven't had enough confidence to want to handicap them, especially on a game-to-game basis. So, you know, we'll see what happens toward the end of the stretch here, but honestly, I've stayed away from that squad. Well, I'm not asking you to put money on them. No, I don't want you to just set it on fire, <laughs> saying you bet against them. <laughs> but even that way, even then, they could, could burn you, because the way they came out against Wisconsin right. last night was decent. I didn't end up Looking real hard at the final line. I'm sure Wisconsin covered, but uh, Illinois comes to town tomorrow night. There's no line on that game, but the uh, the Illini roll in at 13 and five and number six. And you've got a number of uh, college basketball experts that are like, okay, there's going to be a slew of Big Ten teams in the Elite Eight. So. It's kind of where we're at with that. Uh, Pride of Chicago, my man. Uh, it is awesome to, to run you down. Burke's Best Bets is uh, what we love doing Thursdays. And you can listen to Danny on the iHeart Media outlet uh, with Vizen. That's Brent Musburger's network. Danny's daily show, Rush Hour, 6 to 7 uh, Central Time. Danny, about 20 seconds. Who's coming up on the show tonight? All right, tonight we got Nick Alberga, and he's a Toronto Maple Leafs radio host. So we'll start off the program with some hockey. Uh, and then we'll continue our conversation with basketball. We'll hit some player props and more in-depth with the earlier slate. And then Tom Byrne, who hosts the Series XM NBA radio show, will be hopping on toward the end of the program to hit the later NBA slate. So a good show to look forward to tonight. Well, can't wait for it. Love listening to it. Danny Burke, Pride of Chicago, his, his show, Rush Hour. And find Danny on Twitter at DannyBurke5. Pride of Chicago, have a great weekend. Thanks for a few minutes. Schmitty, you're the best. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you next week. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time. Good show today, man. Gary Barnett was fantastic on the... Brendan Hymas stuff. Going to check that out. Uh, you can get to ESPNLincoln.com, the on-demand section. Do the podcast. Take us with Hale Varsity. Uh, has the podcast and iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. It's where you go for all of that. And the uh, HerdAtMedia.com platform. Uh, 
find all the uh, podcasts you want with the uh, Herd at Family. That's just awesome content for you on your timeline. 466-377-6800-825-5865. Numbers to get in. And, uh, of course, email chris at hailvarsity.com. When you do do the podcast, please give us a review uh, and uh, give us a rating. You can love us. You can hate us. You can be somewhere in between. But uh, please sound off and uh, really appreciate all those platforms we are on and uh, where you can hear us. Tomorrow on the show, we will check in with Jacob Padilla, some Husker hoops. We'll dive into the uh, pride of Oklahoma and say hi to Dr. Petey, Derek Peterson. Bill Dolman is back. Pride of Fairbury. So I uh, loaded up Friday to get you into the weekend. And uh, big thanks to Brandon Vogel today and Gary Barnett and, and Rick Pizzo. And, of course, Danny Burkett and some NHL moneymakers tonight. Reminder about buckling up. 70% of people in fatal crashes in Nebraska. They're not wearing their seatbelt. If used properly, a seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury. Buy up to 60% your best defense in any crash. Buckling up, brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. It is a Thursday. We need to find out what Damon Barr is doing tonight. So what is on the uh, the dinner well, agenda? Before we get to the, to the food, I want to give kind of a, a sadness of myself. Uh, second semester in a row, no classes on Fridays. Not able to enjoy the thirsty Thursdays because of COVID. I mean, this is what you plan for your entire college career, and I've fallen short here. You map but, uh, it out. I did effectively. You know, listen. There are people getting vaccinated in the droves. The uh, health department has said, look, there can be seventy-five percent capacity at restaurants and bars here in Lincoln, anyway. Uh, They're even letting people go watch youth sports for the love of God, let alone high school basketball. I mean, hell hath frozen over. We're getting to do that now. Thank God. So what I'm telling you is get on down to the bar, (laughs) get a drink, go see Seth and the crew, belly up. It's okay. Oh, yeah. You can space out, (laughs) but you need to go do a Thursday. I might I even to, like yeah. just trank dart you and drag you down there. <laughs> if I'm with you, I am no longer the creepy guy at the college venue. Right, it's acceptable if you're if you're with. Uh, if I'm with, <laughs> if you haven't guessed, <laughs> what the hell's your dad doing here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't look at him. Don't look at him. Don't talk to him. He's my boss. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? No. No. Yeah, no. Uh, as for the dinner. Hey, I got to uh, go to the can. Can you wait here? Out the back door. What are you eating? Uh, let's go with uh, some leftover uh, pasta, shrimp, and broccoli with a little cream sauce. There we have it. It's on Damon Barr's menu tonight. Go to the bar tonight. Do it. Back tomorrow at 4. Thanks.